Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and a quick fire, not a flappy gums episode of the Weekend Sports Cars, Graham Goodwin. We're just you and I run our mouths. We are going to do some Ooh. questions from our amazing, our dear listeners. Just not a super long episode with you Ooh. on the run from Daytona. Again. Heading from Daytona to Dubai. If there's a racetrack where endurance racing is held and it starts with the letter D, that's where you'll find Graham Goodwin. Um, we're going to do a short-ish episode. It is late your time. You've gotten almost no sleep since the Rolex 24 Daytona came to a conclusion on Sunday. I've had a little bit more rest, but need to head out the door here for some appointments. So we'll do probably about a half hour, Graham. Does that sound about right? Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And we'll be back next week. And granted, you're on the move again at what, Abu Dhabi, yeah. I think? So we got another. Dab, da, it begins with D, so it's Dabo Abi. Dabi so. Dabi. Yes. Uh, yes. So a uh, good old double D good one. We'll just leave that right there. So we'll try and do a longer episode next week as we are able. Do this first, though. Time to say a big thank you to our show partners on the Marshall Pruitt podcast, starting with FAF Technologies, Build to Print Composites Manufacturing Company. They're specializing in medium to large-scale automotive, motorsports, and military applications. Visit faftechnologies.com, P-F-A-F-F, technologies.com, to learn more about their services and how they can benefit your business. Next, it's the Justice Brothers, makers of premium additives, lubricants, and cleaners, and servicing the automotive and motorsports industries for more than 85 years. With victories in all the biggest North American motor races, including the Indianapolis 500, the 24 Hours of Daytona, the Justice Brothers products are truly race-proven. Learn about their vast history and range of offerings at justicebrothers.com. If you're fond of awesome motor racing collectibles, including FAF Motorsports McLaren gear and goodies, pay a visit to torontomotorsports.com. And finally, we have a new online merchandise home for the podcast thepruittstore.com all the show stickers models racing memorabilia i'm trying to sell and put towards our fun to buy a house is now live and rocking thepruittstore.com so mr goodwin we did indeed have a great time at daytona <clears throat> we're able to host and hold a public not flogging we expected a flogging but it was a public <laughs> podcast our friends a lot of friends here faf motorsports slash faf technologies Toronto Motorsports, off track with Hinch and Rossi, that being James Hinchcliffe, and Rossi, 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 some sort of race yes, car driver. No, I'm not, I was surprised it wasn't Valentino. Yeah, well, disappointed. Disappointed. If we've got to be yeah. honest. But yeah, uh, we'll post that here shortly. But otherwise, uh, let's just get straight into good old questiones. Shall we start with IMSA since that's been the thing that dominated our world for most of January? I think we should. There's going to be a hacker bunch, I think, as you, uh, you, you as an American would say. The official it's, measurement uh, uh, form of measurement, uh, measurement unit of, of the week in sports cars, hacker bunch. Yeah, there will be a lot of ACO rules content in the next couple of weeks. I'm here, of course, with the Asian Bond series in the UAE for the final three races. And then we've got about a week's gap. And then it'll be two weeks in Qatar for the start of the WEC. So it's only right that we should look, at, uh, look back, back a little to what was two weeks in well, for the most part, the sunshine, uh, albeit a freezing cold sunshine uh, for the Royal Before the 24 uh, MP, uh, and look back at um, some of the analysis of that race, 
uh, sort of the news that came out from that race, and most of that driven by, as you say, our fantastic listeners. Let's kick off with the first one uh, in this list here, and it's Caleb Whistler, who says, Hello, friends. Hello, Caleb. Was it me, or did it seem like the RLL BMW GTP program seemed to regress after last year? Or is it that Daytona just doesn't sit well with BMW? He says, best wishes to all of us. Not sure I entirely agree with that, but um, keen to hear what you think. Yeah, first of all, great to see you, uh, Caleb. So thanks for being awesome. Uh, So great to see you there at Daytona. BMW was the lone GTP manufacturer, Graham, that stood out to me from the roar through the Rolex 24 that was just a tiny bit off. I don't know if we can put that all down to BOP. Mm-hmm. I do know that we got to about the midpoint of 2023, knowing they came in late, last, fewest miles and testing and all those things. They had a big kind of a pass we gave them, as we should. They did ramp up. We're very impressive. The second half of last season uh, we're in the mix, even down to the last race. A championship would have been remote, hard, but they were at least in the conversation, which spoke to how far they'd come. And I do agree with Caleb in terms of where they were at pace-wise. Competitiveness is maybe what I'm looking at, right? You could say, well, what about lap speed? Cool. You could do a quick lap, and they had a quickish lap or two for talking the fastest ones. They weren't totally out of the ballpark compared to the Porsches, Acuras, and Cadillacs, but the real sustained pace, the fighting pace, that I did not see a lot of. And so, like Caleb, I did have them earmarked as, hmm, there's no real reason they would come into this big race and intentionally go slower than necessary. Um, knowing that IMSA treats the uh, Rolex 24 BOP Graham as a unicorn, right? What's done there for BOP is not carried over to Sebring and such. Once we get into the normal season where we don't have these giant long slip streaming banks that they run along at 200 miles an hour, again, it's a very much a standalone BOP. There'd be no reason to intentionally dial themselves back there in the hopes of getting some sort of big break from Sebring onwards because IMSA treats Sebring like a brand new start from scratch BOP approach. So I think we had two things going on. I think one, I don't know if the BOP was super spot on for them. And second, I think it's three rivals might have just made more off season progress than they did. So just a quick thing to close on this, just coming back to the lap speeds. Might see a fast lap posted in the Rolex 24 by one of the two BMWs that, again, was very close to most of the manufacturers. Great. Does that mean it was the cars were capable of doing that every single lap or there, thereabouts? Not necessarily. It's one thing for a car to be very fast and for it to be relatively easy to do that throughout the race, in and out of traffic, and so on. It's another thing for team to put up a similarly quick lap, but for that to be a bit of a Hail Mary. That's just what I saw, or what it looked like to me, Graham, with the BMWs. They could put in that lap, but they didn't have the ability to do that 
10 laps, 20 laps, 30, you know, on and on and on to remain or to get into the fight and then remain in it. Well, I saw was something slightly different. Uh, bear in mind, I'm dipping in, in live terms to the IMSA Weather 6 Sports Car Championship. My uh, yardstick was the performance of the cars at the Rolex last year, principally. And there we did see a big step forward. They were in the fight, they were in the mix, but yeah, I think you're quite right before both of those cars really sort of fell by the wayside, um, they were, I guess, the, the rule set flattered the performance, as it often does uh, with IMSA's rule sets. Um, in some ways, it provides much more entertaining racing. It allows us to have a deeper field on the same lead lap uh, in each of the classes. But in this case, it probably kept that BMW ultimately competitive for longer than its pace suggested that it might be it's going to be really interesting to see what happens on this side of the pond beyond uh, when wrt uh, ramp up with their m hybrid v8s because of course 2024 will be the first time we've seen bmw in the fi world endurance championship and for that matter at the Le Mans 24 hours i expect that to be as with each of the new uh, teams and new cars as well coming into the championship, a bit of a baptism of hopefully not real fire, but uh, a difficult kind of genesis for them in the championship. But I'll be keen to see whether or not the, the, the mileage they've had on the wheels in the United States helps them to bridge some of the gap that we did see with the incoming new cars in 2023. But hopefully BMW can get it, get, uh, get this rolling. Cause as I've said multiple times on um, the weekend sports cars, I'm not naturally a big, brand fan of bmw but actually for the lmdh rule set for me the car in terms of the styling that has come closest to what i believe was originally intended by a long jog um is the bmw and i wish them well with it uh, i think it's it's great to see someone you know getting stuck in with their brand image front center back and front uh, as we've seen with the bmw all season uh, so hopefully we see that improvement coming again as we did through 2023. Can they catch up with what was very clearly a much, much more impressive Porsche display? That is a minute of a hashtag wait and see. What should you got I, next for us? Should I mention, and I need your help here because uh, sure. the math ain't mathing in my head. Uh, I believe yesterday or the day before, I don't remember if it was January, mm -hmm. I think it was January 31st, 2018. Was mm -hmm. the first ever episode of this themed podcast, You're which right. did not You're right. start its life as the week in sports cars. It, it started didn't. life as the untitled sports car show because we didn't know what yep. to call it. And I'm not saying I mean, we that went on for that went on for some little while. We recorded that show in the radio room immediately after the finish of the Rolex 24 Hours, and legitimately the repercussions from it some of the, no i mean this i'm not even being funny the repercussions from doing it one of the best things i know i could have ever asked for and so much has happened for me as a result of deciding to add uh, a sports car a weekly ish sports car podcast to my pre-existing weekly indie car podcast so uh, i am yep. so thankful you and i looked at each other i think 
uh, sleep deprived, drunken mindedness, <laughs> and like, hey, you want to go in there? Way and talk too about many it? gummy bears. Yeah. Way too many gummy bears. We could talk about but, sports cars on a podcast, but, but I don't know what the math is, though, Graham. So we started it, I think, January 31st, 2018. So, what is, is this? Are we now starting year seven, six? How many? How long have we been three. doing this? This is engineer. the this end is of the sixth year. We're into year seven now. Well, yeah, okay, that's what I thought. I got it. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I didn't but, have to take off my shoes to count that high. But, I could but do for, for me, but I, I just want to say this, which is anybody that listens and watches the the work that I do in broadcast knows that I really enjoy engaging with, engaging with an audience. I love it. I love people's enthusiasm. I love the fact they bring a different perspective. And the format that we sort of fell into, it sort of feels like we did that by maybe April or May. I think we trialed something, trialed something else, and realized that actually the question-based format really works. Uh, I'm grateful to everybody that's engaged with both of us. i thoroughly grateful. I th- it is one of my favorite things to do professionally in any given week because – we're dealing with real people, their opinions, their observations, their questions. Love that. More than that, my friend, I love the fact that you and I don't get to see each other very often, didn't get to interact with each other very often. Principally, uh, our interactions would be on um, two different phone lines or Skype uh, lines whilst contributing to a different podcast that, by the way, wasn't then and still isn't in competition with the weekend sports cars. That was our major interaction apart from at Daytona and at Le Mans. And what this has given me is the opportunity to speak to you before and after we record this, during this, this, this recording. And it is, for me, a very special friendship and professional friendship. And this podcast has made that happen. And I will be eternally grateful for that. That's the biggest little garbage I've ever heard, Goodwin, but you keep peddling that nonsense. Some, some, of, the, some of the $10 note, mate. Some yeah. of the $10 also, note. speaking of formats we trialed, should we reveal that among those that we tried out in the first couple of months, one of them was uh, naked FaceTiming uh, while doing the episodes? That, that, that didn't last long, did it? That didn't last long. It was uh, really for one thing. Really you, you can't get a good wide-angle camera on a laptop, can you? That's a good fat joke right there. I like that. Oh, that's a good one. Mm. Chef's kiss. All right, so y'all didn't tune in to listen to this nonsense, but I take that back. You tune in to listen. All we give you is nonsense, but we love you for it, and we appreciate that you accept our many and varied faults. Uh, I've, Dinesh? I've spotted, a, I've spotted a question that I know the answer to, which is unusual, so I better answer it. Well, then there you go. It comes from Dinesh Remesat, and Dinesh says, is there a link between the issues the Corvettes were having that kept them off the track? How often and seemingly easy they were to stall whilst leaving their pick boxes, with even Pratt Miller uh, stalling out uh, an unusually high amount as well. Not going to talk about the issues about stalling, but can tell you that from talking to a number of people at Daytona, since Daytona, and then to a number of people involved in both the customer racing side that are present here in Dubai, some of the drivers, et cetera, et cetera. There does seem to be a common factor, and it wasn't just for the Corvettes. I've heard from three different manufacturers and their team representatives and their factory drivers. There was a strong suspicion that one of the parts that is common to numerous GT3 cars is the power steering pump. And power steering pump is you know, a component that uh, I think the majority of these these uh, cars and these uh, manufacturers 
supply, and there is a strong suspicion that there's a rogue batch of those components uh, around because there were there were a, a large number of failures of power steering pumps uh, during the Rolex 24, and in some cases, in rather alarming fashion. Uh, you know, whilst trying to turn in through the bus stop, for instance, more than once one driver has told me, um, and that uh, was high drama. So, common factors, yes. I think what we saw with both the Ford Mustang, which you've not mentioned, uh, and the Chevy Corvette, which you have mentioned, it sort of was what we said in our preview show, Marshall, um, what we expected to come for fruition, which is if you want to see what's going to break, testing won't, will sometimes do it, but you can't do better than putting it into a 24-hour race. And I sure saw what was going on with the Corvettes for both AWA, who had a miserable Rolex 24 with their new customer cars, Pratt Miller 2. Uh, the cars were quick, but they faded with problems. And then we got the bizarreness of the both of the factory uh, Mustangs uh, tearing off their rear deck within, I think, two laps of each other, uh, if I remember correctly. There was one point at which we saw... Uh, the 64 car with the rear deck torn and flapping in the wind. Um, and then we got another shot and we thought, well, hang on a minute, that car's just been in to be fixed. But sure enough, it was a 65 car with exactly the same failure. So you learn, and sometimes you learn those lessons very hard indeed, as let's not forget Ferrari did in 2023 at the Rolex 24, when what they found was the floor mountings on the 296 GT3 were not fit for purpose. That got fixed. The 296 is now an absolute weapon. And I have zero doubt that in pretty short order, both Pratt Miller with the Corvettes and Multimatic with the Mustangs will have things back on the straight and narrow and order, or indeed disorder, can be restored. But uh, common factors, there's usually some. As for the starter bits, I don't know if you know anything, MP, but that's not one that's on my notebook. I have so many questions I need to ask people in the paddock. And... I really thought while flying home Monday afternoon uh, that this week was just going to be embroiled in nothing but answering things I wanted to know, and I've completely failed. So I don't, but I do need to find out. And I'm looking at the next two questions, one from our pal Zach Anderson, another one from Michael O'Keefe that all fall into voids of knowledge in my head. Do you know anything or have you had any follow-up to learn about the repeated uh, Porsche 963 Porsche Penske Motorsport powertrain over, it's not so much, quote, over boost, but over power limitation limits? It was out of specification, wasn't it? It was out of the permitted specification. The big problem here is, Everything's been back-to-back. And literally, as soon as I was done at Daytona, I was on an overnight flight out of Miami, which led to a second consecutive overnight flight out of London. Didn't leave Heathrow Airport. Um, So I've not had that chance to kind of catch up with people. These are extremely complicated pieces of machinery. Do I think there was anything hooky going on? Sort of don't, is the honest answer. The, the, the teams will fly very close to wind indeed, but they're f- absolutely fully well aware of what can be observed live. That's just not one of those things they would take the chance with. So what do I think happened? I think they probably had 
some kind of minor system failure that, that, that made that happen. And that might have been something they could manage to a degree, but they clearly couldn't manage to their full satisfaction uh, through the whole race. So do I think there was, uh, for the want of a better word, cheating going on? I don't. I really don't. Uh, we've not seen that um, with that uh, level of systems thus far. We have seen a few warnings and a couple of penalties issued in both championships that run GTP slash hypercar. Uh, we saw it, for instance, in the WC with Toyota losing significant ground uh, for a problem, uh, with Peugeot in the same race also being uh, pinged for it, but that they'd uh, the, 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 the problem was not as severe. They got enough data to show where the car was. It was an issue to do with the sensor in that case. So what I'll do here, Graham, so, uh, in, in Dinesh, Zach, and Michael, uh, when we're done here, we've got some appointments we need to go run to that do involve me sitting in the car for a good long time. Uh, I've mm-hmm. taken a screenshot of your questions, and once mm-hmm. I'm able to, uh, sitting there somewhat idling, I will text and ask people who know both on the Corvette side and the mm-hmm. Porsche side, and we got nothing for you here. I own the failure. that It's a hat trick of failure here in questions, but when we get back to this next week uh, and do our next episode, Graham, we'll make a point of circling back in our preamble to provide some answers. So how's yeah, that? Absolutely. That way we're not talking I think that sounds... I've seen that. That sounds great. Just looking here, Ed Juris actually asked a question about Felipe Albuquerque. Uh, it says he stepped back for his United Autosports in Les He has indeed. Does this mean that Acura will have more for him to do this summer, like testing an AR6, ARX06 Evo, or maybe an ARX06 on WC tracks? Rather remarkably, I bumped into uh, Felipe today. He's actually here in Dubai. And uh, one of the other things that Felipe is doing is he is driver coaching. So he's driver coaching a young talent in uh, the appallingly titled Formula Regional, um, Formula Renault as was, uh, and is very happy to be doing that. So we're going to catch up, I hope, again tomorrow. Indeed, um, Ollie, Gavin and I have invited him on uh, to do a little bit of a, a piece on comms during the race on Sunday. So if you're a fan of one of the world's fastest Portuguese drivers. Uh, do listen in or watch in on the Asian Le Mans series YouTube channel, and hopefully we can persuade Felipe to come in and offer what we know he's got a lot of opinion uh, on a lot of things. So um, that would be quite some fun, but he was in good form. So trust me, he's still going to be busy. And, um, you know, he's hungry for success, Felipe Albuquerque. He'll be one of the factors, I think, putting a lot of pressure on HRC, uh, on the WTR Andretti uh, machine to see what they can squeeze out of uh, an ARX06. that I think we can agree, MP, for, for what we believe was likely a BOP-led um, uh, set of reasons was not ultimately on the pace of the Relics 24. If there's one thing we love talking about on TWISC, it's BOP because it's my, it's my favorite thing in the whole world. The level of BOPness on this show is just, it's phenomenal. Uh, hey, we got 10 ish minutes or so left. Okay. We're not going to get to all the questions. So no. hopefully our guy, uh, Daniel 
Summer's Guild who puts them together for us can uh, trim the ones we've covered and save the rest for next week. But why don't we, let's see, why don't I pick one or two here? Uh, Brandon Kratzer, you asked, why did Ford go with M Sport to do the motors and the new GT3 cars and not Roush Yates? I mean, I don't know the exact answer. I'm guessing there might have been a difference in proposed uh, budgets to do so. M Sport, long-standing, uh, if I'm speaking from a North American standpoint, a long-standing quote international partner of Ford. Yeah, uh, when they I think are of with them, the rally car, right? Yep. I think of Ford's WRC program uh, tied so heavily to M Sport. So I know that M Sport has also worked with some other manufacturers, but knowing that. While we have the launch of the Mustang GT3 here in IMSA, it is certainly not the only place uh, those cars will be playing uh, in the world, and Ford hopes for plenty more to be racing uh, throughout the world. So it doesn't totally surprise me, Brandon, that they went with M Sport knowing um, while going with Roush Yates again wouldn't have been a bad idea. Uh, The thought of M Sport servicing this globally also doesn't stand out as odd to me knowing that they're not just looking to do a uh, domestic program here with those cars why don't we go graham to adam kapiski who says now the first florida marathon is done what do you reporter types do during the race as far as to stay on top of the stories is it the ultimate all-nighter uh red bull iv drips what do you guys do should we should we reveal to him we, no, we, don't do that. We actually leave Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. And just I, pretend. I get young people watch, to go and do it all for me. All, I'll, I'll just get young people. At a bar. Yeah, what are you talking about? I'm a silly guy. <laughs> um, it's uh, a great question, answer, though. Answer. It is a great question. Um, it's, it's, it, 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 there's, there's a couple of things to, from my point of view to answer here. I found some years ago, I'm not in the first flush of truth. I'm approaching a very big birthday indeed uh, in just a few weeks' time. And I found. Uh, some years ago that I could no longer do a 24 hour race without sleep. And if I tried to do it, it turned to be a big mistake. It would wash me out for days, weeks um, later if I tried to do that. So I do need in in a kind of window between let's say about 2am and certainly before about 8am, at least two, two and a half to three hours sleep, which I tend to get in the seat of a car. It's as simple as that. The back seat, front seat, and luckily I am somewhat vertically challenged, so that's less of a problem for me than it is for some of my taller uh, colleagues, but I do need a little bit of sleep. Coffee doesn't really hack it. I can't stand the digit drinks. It's one of my absolute pet. I hate them. Horrible, syrupy awfulness. Tastes to me like a massive gallon can of cough medicine don't like that whatsoever um so what i tend to do to keep myself active is i go and have a walk in the pits of the paddock go and talk to someone go and find something out go and find out what's going on with that car because it's got its engine cover off and i did that constantly through the rolex 24 and was happy that i was being supported through the whole race by stephen kilby and by Joe o'connell which made life an awful lot easier i think for all three of us But for the most part, it's keeping busy and knowing your limitations. There will be, I hope, uh, something we can bring to the Marshall Pruitt podcast. I'm I'm trying to persuade him to do it. A fabulous story, MP, about uh, Howden Haynes. Mm. Uh, Howden H. Haynes, I did a bit of an event for 
uh, the guys at Progressive, and Howden gave me just the most amazing set of stories about how they persuaded Audi Sport Team Yost to give some budget to allow the race engineers to get some help with exactly the issue that's being described here. And if I were to tell you that the key phrase in the solution involved the phrase Navy SEALs, I think everybody wants to know what the answer is. You've both blown my mind and left me absolutely <laughs> it was, clueless as it was, what the hell you're talking about, a, but I love it. It is a fabulous set of answers and a truly genius way of dealing with the, the issues at hand, um, which it deserves a podcast its own right. And I'm going to go, go, be going and sitting down with Alden Haynes for him to tell some tales, and those tales are legion and fantastic. But that's my way of doing it. I think your way of doing it tends to be rolling, rolling up at a ball and pretending oh. to be a hedgehog. Yes. Well, yet another problem I'm trying to overcome. Oh, I, <laughs> the the hourly reports provided by the daily sportscar.coms and racer.coms and other.coms certainly helps you to stay on top of the trends. There's yep. no way you can capture everything. 59 cars three to four drivers in each of those vehicles across 24 hours. You start doing the multiplication, and that's a lot of things to try and understand. So we are super thankful for the longstanding work, at least back to the American Le Mans series days of Lee Driggers and his son Justin Driggers. They do the uh, hourly, if not more frequent, uh, timing reports that get shared via PDF to those of us in the media. And it tells you everything imaginable. So that's more of the, uh, really in-depth, uh, account of what's happening minute by minute. I mean, I'm just pulling up one here. Um, actually this might be the wrong one. Uh, race page five. Uh, let's see what's on here. Um, at 3.10 p.m., one hour, 20 ma- 28 minutes in, Daniel Goldberg, the number 22 LMP to a rake up, blah, 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 off course at turn three and continued. At 3.11, uh, one hour, 29 minutes in, Michael Christensen, number 77, GTD Pro, Porsche, etc. cetera. Uh, pits, fuel, tires, pit lane duration, one minute, 19 seconds in total super helpful uh at 3 p 316 p.m uh nico pino is a class leader in lmp2 pitted fuel tires pit lane duration one minute 28 seconds it's these kinds of things that are super helpful i know i have all of them saved forever (laughs) so especially (laughs) Because, again, let's say we're in the media center, we're watching the broadcast, we're hearing NBC Sports, et cetera, telling us what's happening. You yep. go to the bathroom. You decide, as Graham said, to go down a pit lane and go for a walk. You're inevitably going to miss some information. So being able how to did come, the number 37, How did the number 37 lose the lap? How did the number 26 yep. drop 20 seconds? Lap and charts help as well, being absolutely. able to go back and find that. But it's, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of documentation that goes on among reporters having to do their hourly reports. So that's great. Again, dial that up on whatever your preferred website and read the chronicling of, of uh, Stephen Kilby or similar. Uh, pull open these timing and scoring PDFs. And as you said, hey, I... Don't remember exactly when, but somewhere around three o'clock, I remember this thing happening. 
You go and find the press release. You run down the timestamps and go, aha, that's where that darn Luis Perez did that thing and stop doing that, Luis. Um, so those things. Uh, and then, yeah, we, it, this is the, <laughs> this is one of those things we shouldn't admit. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but we do it nonetheless. So we're at a motor race and the motor race is awesome. And there's cars and drivers and teams and people, and there's all kinds of stuff. And they wave a green flag. And all those cars and their drivers, they go race and they do stuff for a long time since this is endurance racing. And so what do we do to try and see it and capture it as reporters, journalists, and whatever? Go sit in the media center and basically watch it or use our phone and pull up the stream or otherwise. And you go, so tell me how that's different from what I do as a fan wherever at my kid's sporting game where I'm sitting in the stands uh, with my ear AirPods in trying to follow the race as well, to which we say, yeah, it's pretty much no different. And the line between us and you is kind of almost not there. But the reality is if you are in super information gathering mode, the best place to be most of the time is sit in your butt in a media center with the race broadcast on a large screen, could be TVs, whatever it is, uh, even just your laptop and just in full digestion mode and then try to find and spot the themes that are standing out. Um, but yeah, you'd. It, meanwhile, if it's a short race, if it's a sprint race, being able to go out, go trackside, pit lane and do a little bit more observational stuff there that's where that tends to happen. But for the big ones like this, where you need to chronicle a crazy amount of information, sadly flying far across the world to a place and then sitting down and just looking at a television yep. <laughs> while there is kind of the best thing. The one thing I'd add to that is it's, and it's something that young writers, and they tend to be young when they come and ask, ask me for, for advice, that I say to them all the time when they're looking to get into what it is that we do. They want to come to the races, they want to do this, they want to do that, which my answer is always the same and always has been, which is tell me the difference you're going to make by coming to the track. Tell me what it is you're going to do that's investing the very significant resource that it takes to get you to and keep you at a race meeting is going to make to the enjoyment uh, to the coverage that we give to our readers, and in this case to our listeners and to viewers of TV. Tell me what it is that you're going to do. And it is about using that time wisely, using downtime wisely, um, finding the right people, asking the right questions, not being boring, not asking Valentino Rossi the same question for the 957th time, finding a different angle, getting you engaged with the conversation, getting all these fabulous amazing people men and women at the paddock whether or not they're drivers or whatever asking them questions that will get them engaged with the conversation will provide something that is useful and entertaining for the consumer of that product and that's what you've got to do when you're managing not just a 24-hour race but in the case of the rolex 24 hours how many days were we on site 12 yeah, 11 12 day trip for me yeah, there you go. And it's that, that it is a matter of just trying to manage all that time, all that opportunity, not just to gather that content, to produce that content. I can tell you right now, uh, just before I you know, picked up the call from Marshall to, to do this show, spent some time over dinner with Stephen Kilby to talk about what we've gathered here, what we've gathered in Daytona, what's not yet been done. There's at least a month's content from the last 
two weeks if we were to run two feature articles a day for that entire period. Uh, so it's a matter of how you produce that as well. So the answer there is we keep ourselves busy. That's what, what keeps you on top of these things. It is the super-duper information gathering mode. Um, and it's, I think the final part of this is to do that, you've got to be interested yourself. You've got to be uh, enthused by the process that everybody's going through. It's a very cool thing to be at a racetrack during a major event. And it's a matter of just not being seduced by just being there and realizing what the task in hand is uh, and, and getting it completed, despite the fact that you are running on empty for a fair amount of that time. And I should just, for the sake of clarification, say I'm talking about the race, right? So obviously yep. for a big, long race, you need to be wherever it is where you're going to be able to digest as much process, contextualize, and so on because that's your job often during and definitely after not saying you go to a racetrack as a reporter and spend 90% of your time in the media center. I'd hope not. You'd suck if you do that, but yeah, you know, the, the real value you can bring on the, well, tell me what you're going to do and the value you would present. If you, if I did bring you to the track that is in the interpersonal level, the explanatory level, being able to go out to the paddock and say, Hey, uh, here's an idea. Let me go ask this person this, put a microphone in front of their face, have someone turn on a camera, record it, whatever it might be. Like, obviously there's tons to do when you're there, but yeah, once that green flag waves, uh, we do shift into basically the world's most advantageous spectators who have the best <laughs> access in the world, but effectively we're just kind of sitting and watching like you. All right. So I've been told by the way, Graham, uh, by okay. a dear listener, more the IndyCar show than this, that uh, when they have uh, this person, uh, their uh, partner, when they have folks who show up late to things, say a dinner or otherwise, uh, they right. refer to their lateness as being a Marshall Pruitt hour. And that's because usually at the start of each of my week in IndyCar shows, I say, yeah, these tend to go about an hour. How long How and long has this 30 minutes been so far? We, yeah, we're 35, or I don't know how right. long we are right now. Uh, you know what? Um, you, you have, you, you've got a busy old time. It's all good. I'm, we're gonna, it's all good. We're, we're going we're gonna to call it to an end here. No, I just I wanted, to, say, I wanted to rattle through two more real quickly. Uh, and again, Daniel, please carry over the ones we didn't get to. Uh, Joe Nowatney asks, does any owner in IMSA wear their emotions on their sleeve more than Wayne Taylor? I, They're I very short sleeves, in fairness. They are short sleeves. <sighs> yes, uh, doused in uh, tears, sadly, most of the time. <laughs> um, not a, a owner in a full season uh, version, but uh, Kenny Haboul in the sun energy Ooh, yes. side. Oh, oh, few, few display their emotions as largely and publicly as Kenny. And there are others. Actually, I was just going to say, um, at least in IMSA, more than yep. maybe any other series that I work in or around or observe routinely, IMSA has more like loud, boisterous, at times shouty, crestfallen owners and i can think of pretty much anywhere else so yeah. i'm gonna give you one i'm gonna give you one here and he's actually now in the imsa paddock and with no little success he's also here as a multi-championship winning team owner in the asian le mans series and is the reigning european le mans series 
uh, team uh, co-owner with his wife, and that is Stewie Cox. So Stewie Cox at Algar Pro Racing, who knows that I love him dearly, is a man that at times does struggle to contain his emotions. And when that happens, Stewie is a force of nature. Love him dearly. Uh, but that, that's a guy that is utterly passionate about not just the sport, but the, princi- the principle and the process of getting it perfectly right. And they very often do at Argyle Pro Racing. But boy, when it goes wrong, step back because there's going to be Icelandic uh, scales of volcanic activity. It's, it's uh, crouched right by, uh, by APR. That, that's, that's certainly one of those characters. And uh, it, it, it can be amusing for everybody other than anybody within, uh, within uh, both striking and hearing distance. But, uh, yeah, that's a force of nature. What's your final one here, MP? Well, yeah, I, I, I was also going to say I was hoping to hear the first reference f- probably for the first time in two years on the show, maybe three. Mm-hmm. I was so hoping to hear a reference from you about Bushu's Hammer Emporium. And Ooh. so for newer listeners, you have no idea what we're talking about, and we'll spare you Absolutely. that, but it used to be a big part of the show. about. It did uh, used to be a big part. Here's, here's one we even of had a things. jingle. We even had a jingle we, we did, used to play. We did. Yeah. You have to find that jingle again. Andrew Backer. But uh, here's, here's, I think, one of the questions 2024. Where are they now, Christoph Bushu? Gallic prison camp is my first thought, <laughs> but I shouldn't say that because he might kill me with a hammer. All right, my la- our last one here for this episode in this very compact, no more than 30-minute episode. Do not look at the timestamp because whatever it is is wrong. It's only 30 minutes. Uh, our good friend Jamie Carr as well, just genuine sweetheart of a person, uh, says, hey, this is only my second ever sports car question. Um Ooh. But he's a long-time week in IndyCar question submitter, of which he is. Great member of the Prue Day as well. He says, after watching yeah. the Rolex 24, seeing a bunch of stuff on social media, questions about merchandise. He says, I Ooh. think this, this is kind of a, and I use this every now and then, this phrase, uh, I think this is kind of a quote, how long is a piece of rope question. Um, right. But look for more of a general theme than a specific answer. What is the goal of merchandise sales? Is it actually a funding stream for a team? Mm-hmm. Is it means for exposure for the team and their sponsors? Mm-hmm. Maybe just a nice way to thank the fans, all the above. Uh, how should we answer this in the realm of sports cars? Because it's very different from F1 or NASCAR. It, it's, it's not a massive uh, earner for most of the teams. And if I had to spill back to who showed the way in the modern era how to do this, uh, I'm looking at the Flying Lizards because that became a pretty iconic thing. They would bring uh, great-looking cars with really neat liveries, Troy Lee designs at uh, Le Mans with the blue and the orange cars back in the day that uh, yeah, really did draw the eye, uh, regularly used to completely sell out their merchandise. So let's not forget a team principally in the lowest class in the race, but presented themselves so beautifully uh, at those races, bumped into uh, at the Relic 24 Hours uh, one of the guys who was in the very early races that I covered in the UK and was taking part in his first Relic 24 in my first race at the Relic 24 in 2002, Mike Jordan, um, UK ex-British GT champion, mm. 
Um, and her son became the British Touring Car Champion, now a big, big um, a force in historic racing, the Goodwood scene. And Mike was telling me that he's just purchased one of the very first Flying Lizard GT2 cars from that race. Uh, so an iconic way forward. That certainly, I think, was an image-building thing. It doesn't hurt them commercially if people who want to spend money with a race team can see a team is presenting themselves in that professional manner. There's another, I'm not sure whether or not this question. There's a, another question as well that talks about what AO Racing are doing with the Rexy, the Roxy, the Spike, etc. That, I think, is a bit different. That, I think, started as something really beautifully folksy and family-centric. It was Roxy came from um, PJ Hyatt, the gentleman driver, the funding driver there, uh, wanting to show his kids something that they were passionate about passionate about other than just racing and his son was a big dinosaur fan and that was how uh, rexy came forward but they're smart people and what they're doing is activating that and that i think will help them to carry it forward uh spoke to pj again there's another carryover from um the relics 24 the agent of mon series he's here in not spike but another lmp2 car uh here in dubai and I've had those conversations with him, with Gunnar Jeanette, about their efforts to image build what AO Racing are doing. And let's face it, that looks like it's been pretty successful to me. I think if you were to ask many people who attend and watch sports car racing currently to name a GT car, it wouldn't be very long before someone didn't say Porsche or didn't say Ferrari, but said Rexy. And that's something pretty extraordinary. So... I think the answer is a bit of all of the above when you ask about image building and income streams, etc. For the most part, a regular sports car team providing a little bit of merch, a cap here, a T-shirt there, it's not going to pay for much of that seven-figure budget they're looking for, but it is about showing the people that are around that team, whether they're backers, whether or not they're team members, whether or not that's prospective clients and customers, that this is a team that can present themselves very professionally in the public eye. That's my view. Anything more to add on that one, MP? Uh, this is on the sports car side, by and large, just something for the true diehard fans. Yeah. It's not a real money maker for 90 plus percent. I mean, so few uh, make any real money off of this, but it is important. You want to make sure that for the teams that have the greatest connections with fans, that those fans have something, you know, we all like to rep the thing we love and so uh, i'd say it falls more into that category in the world of sports cars jamie than anything we're like oh my goodness we're gonna retire off all that uh, <laughs> that merch the merch sales so why don't you uh take us home graham goodwin as you so kindly do oh well thanks so much for everybody for popping in questions it was been a pretty late call i'm not by the way through all of our medium uh, this week. This has been a kind of late call to come pull the show together. Thanks, Daniel Summerskill, for putting the questions together rapidly for us to get this show together. Thanks to you, Marshall. You've had a busy time, as have I, over the last couple of weeks, and just finding these slots of these I know can become a challenge when we're on different time zones and with different, uh, different levels of fatigue involved. I want to say thank you, of course, as always, to our sponsors for the weekend sports cars to fast technologies to the justice brothers and to torontomotorsport.com it was great to see you guys uh, on site at the relics 24 
He has been Marshall Pruitt. I've just checked, and I am Graham Goodwin. This has been the Week in Sports Cars. It's part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast, and we promise, we promise we can be back next week. <laughs>